Hello, everybody, and welcome to Building a Bridge. My name is Jesse Brizendine. My name is Jared Countess, and our mission just fell on the floor. <laughs> our mission is to empower people. Let me say it again. Let me get back on camera. Here we go. Yes, I still use a prompt, guys. Still a prompt. Sorry. <laughs> it's been two months. Our mission is to empower people to use their voice to build a bridge beyond race relations creating unity and understanding, effectively raising the collective consciousness of humanity. Last week, we talked about white privilege, and it was a really, really fascinating discussion. I learned a lot being a part of it, and if you haven't had a chance to watch it, I encourage you to go back and check it out. Some of the highlights were talking about, really, Jerry took this really, really great definition of what it is, where it came from, and we started to break down the different components of it and talked about one of the fundamental challenges of, of it is how it's being seemingly being used today is it may seem for some, it may feel like it's discounting or discrediting their suffering and their own challenges in life that we've gone through. And today, Jared, what are we going to talk about? Well, today we're going to explore. We're not going to spend on the topic of white privilege, but we're going to talk about what we, what I consider terms like white privilege, right? Or all these other political terms out there right now um, in ways they're being and used as emotional triggers. So we talked about white privilege like being a missile or a rocket, right? Or a bullet to like shoot at people when they say things that you don't like, right? Like you disagree with me, that's your privilege talking. You don't understand blah, 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 blah. And it's just, you know, we're, we know we're pushing this emotional button. We're using this, this trigger, we're shooting this shot, um, but without necessarily qualifying it. Um, and so we're going to kind of talk about both like, using emotional triggers in a conversation, right? Because it don't necessarily mean they're bad, right? And especially like people are, people are um, it's sometimes the shortest way to explain a sentiment, right? And sometimes we wanna press emotional buttons when we're talking to people for good or for bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. um, but then how do we receive it, right? And talk about it. And then how do you explain it when confronted with the with the question, right? Because um, you, if you if you know that the word that you're using or the phrase that you're using is an emotional trigger, right? How do you how do you explain it? And and did, when you shot the shot, where you're coming from a place of anger and resentment and ex frustration, right? Yeah. And um, and then how do you how do you um, get back to uh, a rational conversation where you are trying to be empathetic with the other person, right? Where you recognize that that frustration is coming from a place of, you really want that person to understand, right? That frustration is coming from a place where I really want you, as a person I'm arguing with or having this discussion with, to understand where I am coming from, and usually, and vice versa, right? And so how do you get how do you get the conversation once those words have been thrown around, you know, uh, Trump, Donald Trump is racist or blah, 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 or, you know, or, you know, white privilege or sometimes and we, we talked about, I think earlier, you know, um, the idea of personal responsibility, right, has become um, a trigger, an emotional trigger for some people because um, that says you don't see the roadblocks in my way right, that are not allowing me to be as successful as I possibly could. And it's all on my response, it's personal responsibility to be successful, right? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you're saying that none of this is, is, is outside of myself and all of my problems are imagined, right? That's the way people feel. I think both, uh, both like white privilege, so you, all my problems are imagined. <laughs> and I have all these advantages. Personal responsibility, all my problems are imagined. And I have all these advantages. It's amazing amazing how when we break stuff down, we can start to see certain certain words often mean the same thing. It's just we're really clever at disguising meanings. Well, it's it's it's, and they don't mean the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the emotional response or how they're internalized is exactly the same, right? We're internalizing those two things the same way and spitting back each other. Right, you know, you don't see my struggle. You don't understand my struggle. Same, same feeling, right? Yes. Two different phrases from two different sides of the argument. One of the one of the challenges with this too is is when we we're using emotional triggers, is it keeps conversations always at surface and it prevents us from ever going to depth. Depth is a place. So, and I would I, would, I would invite you all to consider this first of all. Let's just say hypothetically, you're going to sit down at a table with someone who may not believe what you believe. Maybe we'll use Trump as an example. They're a Trump supporter and you're adamantly against Trump. There has been a great deal of effort put out there to layer all sorts of emotional landmines, not even triggers, but landmines around the use of the T word, right? Because if you're a Trump supporter or a non-Trump supporter, it means you're a racist or not a patriot or whatever it is, right? But let's just assume that you're willing to sit down with them. <clears throat> and if you go beneath the surface, that's beginning to invite the question of what does that person really want? What are they really after? At the depth of humanity, you'll often probably see that that person probably wants almost identical to what you want. They want to be assured that there's food on the table for their family, a roof over their head, that they're going to be able to earn an income that that income will be protected and that they'll be able to live a lifestyle that they want to live and that their friends and family will be safe and whatnot. You know, and there'll be some other little things there. But the point is, is you'll probably see that they want exactly or very similar to what you want. They want to have the opportunity to have meaningful relationships, meaningful families, those types of things. The problem is, is we never get to that place of understanding because we're too busy throwing triggers at one another. As soon as we say the T word or whatever other words we have out there, we've immediately assigned that person an archetype, an example we've put in. And depending on what kind of media or content we've been hypnotized to, and hypnosis isn't a bad thing, we're all in some sort of trance most of the day all the time. Easiest example is if you think about getting on the road to drive and you say to yourself, my gosh, it's going to take so long. And all of a sudden you look up and you say, oh, shoot, I almost missed my exit. You know, we, we go into an unconscious trance because our conscious mind is only able to process so much information and our con- unconscious mind is able to operate everything else. And if we're not allowing ourselves to go to depth, we're just reacting emotional and we become little children. And this isn't to be insulting. It's to invite the possibility of consider when you were a little kid and somebody said something that hurts your feelings. What did you do? Probably name called them back. Hey, you're Jared, you're a poopy pants. So then Jared calls me a butthead. Well, you're a jerk face. You know, we've just become more clever and educated 
so to speak, with our language we use, where now we might use words like white privilege or Trump supporter or, you know, all sorts of other big monosyllabic words. All of these words do, uh, in my opinion, is they pull away from the opportunity for us to go to a greater depth. If someone does support Trump, what if the, it was awesome? Awesome, that's awesome you support him. Why do you support him? You know, and then you really invited that conversation. If someone didn't support Trump, what if it was awesome? And we invite that conversation. What if somebody adamantly believes in white privilege? Awesome. Why do you believe in that? And invite the conversation. If somebody adamantly doesn't believe in it, awesome. And then invite the conversation and you'll start to recognize that those things are just surface, but at depth, I would guarantee you that you will have so much in common with that other human being but if we're playing a game where we are running around, you know, when we're wielding emotional triggers, it's like playing an ongoing game of Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. Instead of having one in the chamber and five empty ones, we're putting five in the chamber and one empty one. The odds are much higher that we are going to end up firing off a shot that is going to severely wound ourselves and the other and prevent us from ever being able to understand and communicate with one another. Absolutely. So... <laughs> There's a couple of things I wanted to touch on that you that you had said. Um, so when you push that, when you reach into the subconscious, right, and you push that emotional trigger in, in, in someone, you don't even want to see beneath that layer to see where you're like that person. Like at this point, you're angry. And a lot of times, once we get there, we almost want to be angry, right? You know, um, emotions can be addictive, right? <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Highly addictive. The, the strong ones. Anger, fear, love, super addictive. Fun, happiness, excitement, super addictive. When we get into that brain state, we want to stay there, right? So it's, that's why it's like you can get mad at somebody you love and it's so hard to forgive them, yeah. right? Or you can love somebody so much that it's so hard to see the wrong things that they do, right? Yes. Because you, 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 you use those emotions to override. But so when we, when we push an emotional trigger or somebody pushing an emotional trigger on us, right, um, it, it, becomes, it becomes really hard to, to break that down and internalize it enough or just even simply not heighten our level of, of anger, right, to, 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 to just fervently fight back as opposed to seek to understand why they said it. Because the truth would be told once somebody gets to the point where they're using an emotional trigger, right? So two things have happened, you know what I mean? One, they, they've decided that they're going to argue with you, right? And they're in, a, they're in an argument of posture, which makes you want to assume an argument of posture as well, yeah. right? If you, aren't, if you weren't already in one. And two, they have, I want to say, I hope people don't get offended. They've run out of talking points, right? So I don't, I, you know, um, let's argue. I'm going to throw this, I'm going to throw this at you because I've thought through this argument, right? I've thought, you know what I mean? Or like I, or I either I have, or I haven't, I have, I, I know, I believe this to be true and I know you disagree with it. Yeah. Right? So let's go. Right. I think two yard it's, it's maybe even in addition to running out of talking points, it's even more so for some, it's, it's that they have this one thing that they feel comfortable defending. 
Yes. They have certainty in defending, right? And so it's, it's easier for me to, it's scary to leave my nest and go explore what's out there. Yes. But this is my nest and I am damn well feeling confident in defending it. Ooh, ooh. Right. And I think that there's a piece of that there with a lot of us because communication is risk, right? There's a vulnerability. I have to, I, you and I are, you know, we talked about this just for everybody to know. Jared and I spent hours before we started this talking about the idea of risk because there's a risk that we put out of we need to trust one another in terms of being able to hold the space, but then we're also asking for trust from each of you that you'll be able to be audience to these conversations. And then we'll be able to evolve dialogue where it doesn't turn into a, because culturally we're in a place too where, you know, we can all acknowledge that it, we're, a, we're a soundbite culture for many ways right now. And it takes one five second soundbite to then go in and, and demonize somebody in public oftentimes. And so when we're looking at that, that psychology of, because when, it's, when it comes to that point where we're now feeling like we have to defend, what we're also wrestling with more internally is, is those things that we've been wrestling with our whole life. If I'm talking to Jared and I feel like Jared's smarter than me, and so now I feel like I have to defend because he's talking in, about things in terms that I hadn't considered. And all I was just trying to say is I'm really a big fan of Trump. I'm now having to defend how what I've been having to defend my whole life, that fear of not being enough, not being smart enough, not being good enough, not belonging, not whatever that is for many. And so I can then use turn, I can use my own emotional triggers to defend, right? You're, you're closed minded. You're hold a little forth. David, I'm in a, I'm in a thing, son. Oh, sorry. All right. <laughs> but I don't know if you could hear him. No, I couldn't hear him. But, but you know, but the, no, but I think that's the, that's a piece of it there too, is, is we, so our defensiveness often will arise because we are trying to defend the dialogues that we have often run most of our lives from being true. And when we are putting risk out there, when we are making ourselves vulnerable in conversation and having these difficult conversations that have so much emotional weight to them, there is at some deeper unconscious level for most of us, a piece of that tied into it. You know, the notion, I think we touched on this last week that we're all wounded children. We're all wounded children going through life. And, and unfortunately we don't, when we engage with one another, we're not seeing the wounded child, especially when we've hit an emotional trigger. When we hit an emotional trigger, the wounded child is gone. They're discarded. And instead what we see is we see good versus bad, right versus wrong right? We, we're creating these kind of dynamics of if I'm not on this side, then who am I? Or if you are on this side, then who are you? And it becomes a much more, I almost in some, in some cases, in the most emotionally probably stirred up, a self-righteous kind of, right? I am, I am on a quest of righteousness, which is essentially what we could argue maybe like the Crusades were at one point or any sort of mass movement at any time in history is there's these extremes of, of, of that. And I think at the core of all of it, there's always going to be this emotion. Most of us do not want to be wrong. All of us enjoy being right. But part of the emotional kick, if you will, that comes with being right is making somebody else wrong. 
And that becomes a really, really intoxicating concoction, the cocktail to drink when we are, if we are in our own personal lives, wrestling with a lot of uncertainty, we might be in a relationship, we don't enjoy uh, health conditions that we're not particularly happy with, economic situations, professional, whatever it is, uncertainty can be comfortable for most of us. And so we will look for certainty. And one of the fastest ways and fastest modalities of certainty is to make someone else wrong because yeah. now you have power over that person. Yes. Right. And when we feel like our lives or a facet of our life is so out of our control, what a great way to gain control than to go on and to make sure somebody else knows how not right they are or how unokay it is for what they're doing or what they're saying because they believe what they believe. Oh, that was, that was like the last part of what you said is, is <laughs> so true. Right. And so it's so deep. Um, I think we go through life as adults, right. Um, wanting to and feeling like we're expected to, have it all figured out. Yes. Right? Yeah, dude, absolutely. And, and I can almost promise you, just about no adult feels that way. <laughs> like, nobody feels like they've got it all figured out. They, they may be very confident in one area where they still probably have their doubts and insecurities, right? But like, in almost every other area, they're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And so when we, a lot of these political arguments, and I think we talked about this earlier before we got on. Um, one of the reasons we have so much certainty, right, is because we've had these ideas or ideals, whatever, for a long time. And we just never questioned them, right? So, like, I, th I think, like, a, we talked about before, we haven't talked about it here, but me and Jesse talked about it. One of the problems is that a lot of people adopt in the two-party system, we adopt the party of our parents. We adopt the religious beliefs of our parents. We adopt, you know, the moral or lack thereof standpoints of our parents. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's the morals, the values, the beliefs that we were taught. Yes, right? right? And, and we've had, and so we've, and we, we integrated that into ourselves. First things first, eight, nine, by the time we were eight or nine or 10 years old, we've had these basic like beliefs and we've maybe evolved and we've developed a skill set to make us you know parts of you know society as adults and blah 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 but how much have those beliefs changed over the 30 40 50 60 years of your life right for a lot of people not that much and so i think that's why when people talk about like we're not going to talk about politics or religion at the dinner table because True for the matter is, or like at the bar, whatever, most people, it although it's shaped and molded who you are to a certain degree or maybe to a large degree, it almost in a weird way has nothing to do with who you are as an adult. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Like none of that stuff is your own. It's all a subconscious program that you've been running for your entire life. So it's so easy when you bring up political or religious you know, conversations to hit an emotional trigger, right? Because it is buried in your subconscious mind, right? It is something that without even really thinking about, 
you just developed a belief in, right? Doesn't say, and, 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 and that is the most, I think understanding that, and if we can all understand that as we talk to each other, right? It is the basis for how you can speak to somebody without necessarily one, getting angry, right? With understanding that there are, they're going to have a different perspective in a different truth from you. Because that is the subconscious programming that they've had from eight, nine, 10 years old, right? And so when you're talking to that person, like you cannot, you, you, you can't, everything that they've done in life, everything that they've seen in life comes from that, from that childhood perspective and everything else. So when we talk about politics, we're talking about things that we, we've internalized as a child. When we learned it as an adult, we reached it from that perspective, right? Some, some people have changed, right? So like my, I come from a, 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 a very progressive democratic family, right? But I, I, like I said, I, I, I was in the thing at 16 years old and through, my dad still talks about it till this day. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even remember exactly what it was I was arguing about. He just remembered, he thought it was audacious. It was about affirmative action, right? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I didn't agree with it and stuff like that. And, um, and it, was, it was because as a child, I was always like, even if I was fed something, right? I was always like, how does that taste? <laughs> right? Like, do I really want to, you know, go with that? And part of that was my, my, my upbringing. Because although my family would tell me things, they would also say, question everything everyone tells you. Really? They, really they would tell you that? Dude, that's incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Big time. Big time. Question question everything, understand both sides of an argument, all of that stuff. And, you know, be able to, because my dad's a lawyer, be able to argue something from each side of the, 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 the table. Right. Um, but he did, he wasn't, the funny thing is he still wanted me to believe what he believed as all parents. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, isn't that the caveat of it all, right? It's, Oh yeah, son, question everything. You should expand, but what I really want don't you to do is believe what I believe, right? Don't, don't question me. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's simply don't question me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you adopt it. And sometimes it's so wrong that we outgrow it, right? But a lot of it is, is, is truth to us, right? And, and, but the truth of the matter is, here's, a, here's another caveat to how your parents teach and raise you and all that kind of stuff. You, I'm a parent. I don't know if anybody else watching this is a parent. I know you. I know you haven't done that, took that leap yet, Jesse. I don't know if you will, but if you decide to or not. But I would say I would argue almost no parent, right? There are some crazy folks out there. No offense. There are some people who are mentally whatever, right? <laughs> but no parent wants to raise a bad child. Mm. No parent wants to raise a child that is unsuccessful or doesn't um, or doesn't. Um, you know, do well and, and, and contribute to the world, right? And have a good life. So I think you, you know, even, even like when we know our parents' idiosyncrasies or they didn't, you know, quite live up to whatever, they all wanted to raise us to be good people, right? And so when you talk about perspectives and things like that, it's about, you know, again, even though I may see things through a different lens because of the way I was taught or the experiences that I had as a child, right? And now we're talking about political things, right? It's like you said, 
a lot of that's surface level. I haven't thought about it since I was a child. These are really things that, you know, that I was taught and I believed. And then they build off these new catchphrases, personal responsibility to say, that's why, you know, poor black people shouldn't complain about being poor or white privilege while white people have no right to talk about poor black people being poor. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, you know, um, if once we, once we dig beyond that surface, those surface level things, and we get to what we think is right and wrong, right? We're like, oh, like we really do believe right and wrong are the same things, right? But like how we think that that's expressed is different based upon our, our perspective, our upbringing and blah, 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 blah. And so when we talk about the politics thing, like it's, it's, it's like, well, what do I think is, is, is really good? Like, so like, okay, I'll give, a, I'll give an example and then I'll let you go, right? So conservatives, right? In general, anti-tax, you know? Um, in general, a lot more laissez-faire with, um, you know, government and stuff like that, right? Here's the other, but ask the conservative if they believe in a pension fund or whether or not, you know, a large corporation should, should have those and, and retirement things and things like that, right? For, for their workers, right? Most of them will agree with that. You know what I mean? They may not believe in high taxes, right? But they do believe that people who work for a company for a long time should be taken care of once they get older by that corporation or that company. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, they believe in giving back, right? Um, but it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not in the same manifestation as giving to the government who they don't necessarily trust with how they'll spend the money. You, you're, you're, uh, whole people are following that, right? Whereas, and they see, and so I'm just, telling, I'm just giving a conservative perspective because I guess I'm more liberal leaning, I guess. Um, Maybe, maybe not, <laughs> but they, but they don't see the value of, uh, sometimes in things like welfare and stuff like that. All, all, even if they have benefited from it to a certain degree, or they can't, they see it just need a lot of reform because one of the, the main values is you have to work for your money. But if you work for your money, you should be taken care of even when you can't work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, where you can no longer work. Right. Um, and so with, I think the perspective of the other side of the left, as far as like taxes and things like that, is that, um, you know, not just everybody desire, deserve a certain level of, 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 of a, of, um, certain, I want to say certain quality of life, right? everybody deserves a certain, you know, quality of life, right? Like, so like should be guaranteed, especially in, in America, right? Um, but also look at, you know, a capitalistic system as there will always be people at, you know, this level that are kind of left out of the system. So because they're kind of marginalized or left out of the system, and that's, I mean, that's gonna happen in a capitalistic system to, you know, Thus, that in my 
that's one thing that I will, I, I'm probably really left leaning on, right? But I believe in the capitalistic system because it gives you the ability to rise up, right? While also recognizing that there will be a certain, there's always going to be like this, this stuff here, right? <laughs> but I want that ability to rise up as opposed to everybody being, you know, stuck in this small box, right? I like the ladder, right? I like the different steps to the stairs, right? And being able to maybe climb the stairs. Maybe I, I do have a ceiling and I'll never get to this level. But I believe that if I climb to this level and I train and teach my son right, he can climb two steps, two, three more steps up and they can keep climbing, right? And hopefully the people at the top, at some point they start messing up and they fall down. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and that typically, you know, though is the case. Walmart is no longer Walmart after Sam Walton, right? You know, after he was gone, right? Sam Walton gone, his children, grandchildren, did not manage that company as well, right? Look at the Hiltons, they're not gonna manage that company. <laughs> you know, first, everybody, you know what I mean? It just, you, you know, you lose that dog, you lose that that push. Now, is there a certain level that they'll probably never fall beneath thanks to the work of their their ancestors? Absolutely, right? Um, and that's, that's life, you know what I mean? And I don't feel like I need to, necessarily knock the floor out from underneath of them to try to grow up that's not not how i i believe right but so i like capitalism for you can climb the ladder you can go up different steps but i always know that there are going to be people it's a section of population that's going to be on these bottom two steps and you'll be born into those bottom two steps of no fault of your own right so you have to have systems that allow those people born into those bottom rungs to be able to ascend. Does that make any kind of yeah. sense? And so I so I'll always believe in pro, programs like welfare because you'll have people you have people that are born into the bottom. You'll have people that are born into the bottom. And and because it's no fault of their own, right, then you can't tell them personal responsibility, right? Without giving them a hand first. <laughs> right. You have to at least give them a hand. You know, and, and, you know, put some ladders there for them to at least get to the first couple stairs, levels, levels, right? And if they don't take it, then so be it. That's not your fucking problem, right? But if you want to have a capitalist system that's really successful, you have to give people away on the bottom, away up, which you need social programs like welfare and things like that. So that's my left side. But I do under, I want people on the left to understand that conservatives just see the work side. And... You know what I mean? You have hard work. Well, you have to get there through hard work. And they don't necessarily, they kind of negate sometimes or think that the money that goes to welfare could somehow funnel a way to, you know, have better jobs. But you can't create a better job for a six-year-old. Sorry, buddy. You know, you can't create a better job for a three-year-old. And yeah, their mom fucked up, but that ain't their fault. So you can't, you know, you know, sure. Okay. You don't want their mom to be able to live, but you know, yeah. I'm sorry, buddy. They, they, in my opinion, they have to, and that's and that's me. Now I'm getting argumentative. Now I'm getting into my my policies. I'm gonna get on my soapbox, but I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I'm gonna let you go on some no. of the things that I said. So, let's 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 break that down for a minute because I think this is a really important point. When we're looking at emotional triggers, it's important to acknowledge, recognize, understand that <clears throat> a few things. I think. Number one, people who have positions of influence 
whether it's talking heads in media, our political figures, whomever it is, much of that influence is likely because they've learned how to navigate the emotional triggers and use them to certain advantages. This is why many of us have probably thrown our hands up in frustration when having, trying to have conversations with family members and friends about politics. And we feel like we can't get them past the sound bites they're hearing on whatever their media of choice is, whether it's Fox or CNN or whatever, because there's these emotions that then trigger an emotion inside of them. So they're responding to that emotion, right? And because it feels there's such a sense of certainty behind that emotion, they hang their hat of belief into it, right? We, we, we all know the person that we end up dating, we fall in love with, because what do we say? We just had that feeling about them, didn't we? Okay. Well, chime, can I chime in real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you just said, like, we have that certainty because we have that feeling. We only have, this is the weird thing about human beings, like, we have rational discussions. We're only certain in the things we feel good about. We have to feel it's right before we have certainty in it. Yeah, or we can have certainty and feel it's bad too. Like this isn't safe for me. This is a bad for me, right? Which this is this is a really important piece and to explore with ourselves because if we're always having discussions or if most of our discussions are layered with these kinds of triggers, it is going to be very difficult for us to go to depth because we're going with this isn't safe, this is safe. Right? Human beings were creatures of comfort, we're we're safety-seeking organisms. We are dealing with, we're, we're living in the year 2020 right now, but we're dealing with thousands of year old biology and that we still have these brains that are, that are navigating fight or flight. Do I stay in fight or do I run from this? Is this safe or is this not? And we, we may not use weapons to fight like we once did. And for many of us, we now use words. We use emotions. I, I want to touch on something too, Jared said with, with the idea of, of capitalism and, and, and life. I, I definitely would say I believe in a capitalistic system. I think that the acquisition of resources is wonderful. And I believe that because for me, I feel like the more resources I can acquire, the more good I'm able to do in the world, the more things I'm able to. So to me, it seems like, because I understand that part of the game is played that way. And so if I'm going to wanting to make some impact, I can make That's one way I can make an impact. The other thing I think that's really important to look at though, there is what is, what does a good life really mean? You know, I think in the United States and maybe many of the Western developed countries, and I, I don't want to speak for any of you who are from other countries, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think for most of us, we're privileged enough to live in first world countries where our basic fundamental needs for most of us are met. We have running water. We have, for the most part, access to food, shelter. It may not be, may not be the ideal, especially compared to what we see the Kardashians, life they're living in on TV, but it, it, it suffices to some extent. And so here we are with that and playing with this, you know, thousands of year old, un, not updated biology. And we're often taught that happiness is, is it's, it's become consumerized, right? Happiness is something we buy. So I'm happy when I have the shirt, the car, the clothes, the watch, the whatever it is. You know, we're raised to see, uh, see figureheads and, and that's what we're taught we're supposed to aspire to. I think one of the challenges most of us will face in life is we most of us know, know what we do not want, but we're not sure what we do want. So if I can ask you, if I ask somebody, what do you want? They'll say, well, I don't want this to be like this. I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be this. That's all what we don't want. Very few of us, I think, can really succinctly speak to what we actually do want. 
And what is a challenge with this then too is when we're going into communication dynamics, we're communicating from what we don't want. And that's a fear kind of thing, right? Because we want to try to get away from the things that we don't want. So already we're going to enter into, if we're in that psychology, we're already entering up with our fist up because we have to fight to get away from that which we don't want. That's a really interesting path that we all have to individually navigate for ourselves is to take time to understand that, which is why we invite the, the discussion to go to depth. Because at depth is where we want our wants live. Surface is what we don't want. Most of us don't get to depth because we're playing in these dynamics of what I don't want. Well, I don't want people to be racist. Well, I don't want people to shoot each other. Well, I don't want to have assault rifles. I don't want to have this. I don't want to have... I don't want to have to wear a mask. I don't want Trump to be in office. I don't want Trump not to be in office. You know, those, these are the kind of things we kind of hear. And then we back that up with, you know, what Jared was talking about. We launch our missile attack with our emotional triggers stuff. But what if we had the conversation of what we want? Not what we want, but what we really want. What I, more, which is more than I want Biden to win. I want Trump to win. Why do you want that? What is beneath the surface of that for you? And invite that kind of discussion. And I think, too, one of the things that's really important For many of us, this is a discussion that we have to have with ourselves before we can expect to successfully have it with others, right? It really is. And one of the challenges in modern communication is most of us are living with some sort of level of dysfunction in our own life, in our big areas of our life, whether it's our health, our wealth, our spiritual life, our, our emotional life, or our relationship life, our occupational life. And because we're living with that sort of some sort of dysfunction where we're not happy or satisfied with life in general for self, then we are turning on and reliant to other people to fill that void or to fill that hole. And if people are not willing to step up to and meet that expectation that we are assigning to them, little do they know, then we will rely on emotional triggers to do that because it can feel good. It feels very good to be right, it feels even better to make someone wrong and exert that kind of power. This is one of the challenges with violence because when you have people in life who are feeling insignificant and uncertain, one of the fastest ways to feel massively significant and massively certain is through violence. If I hold a gun to Jared's head, there is no one more significant in his life in that moment than me. And if somebody like myself is coming to a time, this is why we, we know most violent acts are not just these, you know, a bunch of it's not a bunch of criminals going and being criminal on each other. It's mostly acts of somebody I know. It's in our crimes of passion. You know, we'll hear that term a lot because what's happening often in those dynamics is someone in that dynamic feels so insignificant and uncertain of their future because of whatever's happening and unfolding in the relationship that in their moment of distress, they are seeking out ultimate certainty and ultimate significance by committing a violent act. Now, that's just, I think that's an extreme of emotion. I don't want to linger on that too much, but I do want to invite that as a piece to consider with this, is that when we, we are playing the emotional game, I think life, the game of life is ultimately played for emotion. Everything that we want or we don't want, if you're willing to look at it, it's, there's always emotion. The house that you want, the job that you want, the money that you want to make, the cars that you want to buy, whatever that materialistic stuff is, if you chunk it down and you see and you ask yourself, well, why do I want that? Why do I want that? Why do I want that? At some point, there's always going to be an emotion. Because when I have this, I will feel this. I will feel happy. I will feel successful. This is 
scary to acknowledge, and it is beautiful to embrace because emotion is available to us at any time, often, and always. But to get there, we have to be willing to go deeper. And if we're not willing to go deeper, we will always default back to name-calling and abusing one another, whether it is calling somebody a name or abusing them or discrediting them because of their political beliefs or because of their skin color or because of their religious affiliation or because of their their ability to climb the capitalistic system or their what their inability to do it we will always seek to find faults and to fill a void that we have not filled ourselves but we have to i think if we're truly going to build a bridge and really honor the mission of this group and then progress it out i was telling jared before this i i don't know why this popped up in my youtube recommendations because i rarely ever look at anything political but there was a clip that popped up of, of Clinton versus the first Bush's debate. These guys were debating almost about the same issues that they're debating about now 30 years later. And, and to me, that screams out, what we've been doing is not working because so much of the dialogue still stays at the surface of right versus wrong, good versus bad, Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative. We have to be willing, I think, to go deeper. And that's a tough task because the human animal is an emotional creature. And when we are emotional or pleasure seeking, or we're playing in these games of safety, we're having to tiptoe through these minefields and we're having to navigate the desire to, you know, put somebody in their place and prove them wrong. And I struggle with this every day. I'll put stuff out there. Somebody says something and I know I could just go in there and, Boom, you know, get them really good. And I would feel so good for just that little bit. I have to be willing to give that up to play, in my opinion, I have to be willing to give that up to play the bigger, the bigger game that I'm playing, which is one that we really are evolving human consciousness, that we are evolving how we look at and treat one another, that we are recognizing that when I talk to Jared and he believes something different than I believe, he's not my enemy. He's a wounded child that grew up with different experiences, just like I do. And he's likely at this very moment in his life, trying to figure out, trying to do the best he can with what he has based off of his life circumstances and the wounds he carries with him from his childhood, just the same as I am. And now acknowledging that framework, maybe I can start to listen to him and understand what he wants. And maybe he'll be willing to do the same for me. I think that was that was that was very well said. Almost like a let's see, like a like a good way to 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 probably close it out. Um, I had some thoughts about halfway through what you were saying, and I lost them. I didn't want to interrupt you. So, <laughs> okay, I, I remember. I remember. So, um, you know, you were I think you were talking about once, right? And um, how that relates in talking about our wants and digging deeper. Um, so I, one of the conversations that um, I've been having a lot of and in, in, in my business, in my wellness, life coaching business, mine, right? So what more is wellness, but um, you can't forget about it. So say there are four quadrants of, in my opinion, of human development, right? Or of, of, of humans like seeking to increase, right? To, to, to grow, right? Um, and they are 
I do them in this order, uh, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical, right? I'll put the physical relatively last, right? But um, spiritual, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical, right? Most of the time, when we're talking about growth, most people think about one, maybe two quadrants at most, right? You have hyper-religious people, right? And they're only, you know, they're concerned about spiritual growth, right? You have people with really addictive personalities, right? They're overly, it's, about, it's emotional kind of a thing. What, what brings me happiness? What brings me joy? I'm growing and I'm gonna grow in those areas, right? That people who are physically dominant, right? Stuff, right? And sometimes that'll match with emotion. Sometimes it'll match with physical, whatever, right? So, but when we when we have a discussion with people and we're not recognizing all four quadrants, right? Or all four places, then then we stay almost, even if we dig deep into one area, we're still really surface, right? Because the meaning of those of that area whatever the meaning behind it has to do with the other three that if i'm making any kind of sense i hope you guys understand yeah what, like, what if i could just add to that jared like what i hear you saying is the, the whole person is comprised of the four quadrants but what is often only expressed is one or two yes those, those one or two quadrants which we could call them their dominant quadrants may not be the same dominant quadrants that the other person has. They may be one's dominant physical, the other is dominant in spiritual. And yes. now you have somebody who's, who's just as a stereotype, they're prioritizing muscles and abs to somebody who's providing God and church. And, yes. and the whole person is made up of all four quadrants, but most people aren't even aware they have all those quadrants. And then when we come to discuss, we're coming to discuss from which quadrant is the most dominant to us at that time? Yes. That moment. And so we're arguing and yes. we're refusing to see the other person's perspective. But if we can shift into different quadrants when we're having that discussion and we can ask them, well, how does that make you feel? Right. Get into the emotional quadrant or why do you feel that way? Right. Oh, and, and how, especially how does it make you feel more than why? Right. Even. Right. We go, oh, we have the same emotions. Right. Makes me feel invalidated. It makes me feel like my struggle wasn't blah, 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 blah. Right. Then we can move into, you know, well, do you, you know, I believe that, you know, all life is sacred. Right. So what is your argument with Black Lives Matter? Well, no life is more important than another. Well, then why would you say, then would you argue that, because George Floyd had done all these things, he didn't deserve to live, right? And so then you're like, okay, well, there's a contradiction there, right? And so, you know, like, and then we can jump to the other, the con, you know what I mean? The mental, yeah. the physical. So, so like, when we dig deep, right? And we're having these conversations and discussions and people press an emotional button, right? I think the like, the process then becomes, right? What are my wants? Well, how do I, let's get out of this quadrant, right? <laughs> Let's go into the other ones and see where we match up. And then we can circle back and we'll have better understanding to really discuss. You, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, so yeah. somebody put up in the group, uh, Jamie did um, this week. And, and I, I'm not going to have anything else to say after this. But it was, um, if you guys didn't check it out, you guys might have missed it. It was from a Trump supporter 
how Trump supporters feel about Donald Trump and how they felt about Barack Obama, right? Basically, he did a mirror of how everyone feels about or how do you hear the dominant feelings about Trump, right? How other people may have felt Obama was that way, right? And I'll be honest, even reading it, right? I'm like, he was nothing like my mind, like Obama was nothing like that. Right. <laughs> but I can see reading it, how people could feel that way of him being dismissive of their perspective and their feelings and their emotions. Right. Um, in, in terms of maybe a few of his statements and, um, and then in, in, in terms of some of the things that he may have tried to put forward into, into action. Right. And, um, you know, um, it's, it was in quadrants, right, that I did not consider, you know, really important, right? The, so I believe in separation of church and state, right? So I don't even know if Barack Obama did say America is no longer a Christian nation, right? But I can understand, like, because I would have never picked up on it. Because it would have been something like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? Yeah. Agree or disagree, it's not a quadrant that really would bother me, right? In terms of, like, I'm a spiritual person, but spirit and religion, like, you can't just separate them, right? Some people, their religion is their spiritual side. So, you know, et cetera, right? Um, and so for him to, like, if, if I'm heavily in that quadrant, like, if that's a very important part of my life, then that would have struck the hell out of me. That would have been like, you know, what's the deal? What's the, you know, how could you say that? May not be a deal changer or game, you know, whatever, but it's like, I don't know, right? Yeah. And now I'm, I'm more apt to believe these claims that you're a Muslim, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you said that, right? Um, and then, you know, some of the other things, and it's like, so you can, I could see like in reading that post of the views of a Trump supporter, uh, how they viewed Obama, and then how they view Trump as being, you know, the opposite and identify with some of those things, it allowed me to see, okay, so they're operating in these quadrants where they agree with Donald Trump. And these quadrants where I'm like, how the fuck can you, you know, do this? Like, how can a president, um, and mind you, I'm not, I'm not really anti-Trump, to be honest with you, but there are some things that he does that I really don't like, right? Like how, as a president, how can you say things like this ever publicly, even if you believe it, yeah. right? How can you do that, right? And so for me, that's a big red flag, right? In, in, in terms of like, because image is important, you know what I mean? And it, and it matters how, how we're viewed, even if you believe it, right? Like I said, I, I think I said in a, a thing, most people knew Lyndon Baines Johnson was, or believed that he was probably a racist. He signed the 1964 Civil Rights and 1965 Civil Rights Act. Still, because that was the right thing to do for the United States of America. Right. And I'm pretty sure, you know, he probably said some just because it was massively believed, probably said some pretty racist things in private. But he knew that America and what America represented can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that. Right. You know, what I mean, you, you lose a part of yourself when you become a public representative, specifically president of the United States. So that's a big issue for me. And I think most, I think a lot of anti-Trump people, right? If they look at the things he does 
and the things that he's enacted as, as the president of the United States, they're not necessarily 100% against everything that he's done as president. But they really, they deal heavily in that quadrant of this is the way a, a president behaves. Yeah, their perception of him as a person or a president, right? Yes, 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 yes. And so, there's, and, so and, and, and I think, you know, that that allowed me to like kind of grow in my in my understanding. Like even though I even though I, I seek to grow in my understanding and all that kind of stuff, it it sparked in in like, oh, so you're not you don't necessarily I've always believed that you, you know, because I know so many people, I think I'll say this as well. I know so many good people who voted for Trump and Trump supporters and I respect, admire, you know, love those folks, right? Yeah. Uh, one of them I had an argument with, I can probably almost never fucking talk to again. But anyway, <laughs> for the most part, I love all, you know. <laughs> but, um, and it wasn't even about Trump, it was about other things. But anyway, <laughs> he just used, he just used offensive after offensive after offensive. And I was like, we're fucking done. I'm trying to get cats on you, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and, and I think, it, anyway, I think it was an effort to trigger me because I'm not an easy person to trigger, right? And so they just kept like, what's gonna, what's, I know he believes these things. How can I push his button and make him angry, right? And, you know, not have the discussion on a, you know, just the real heart to heart level. How can I get him to a place where he's angry and having this discussion from, a mirroring my emotional state level yeah. and he figured it out and that was the end of it <laughs> so um anyway um but it's it's i think learning to 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 talk about our wants when someone says something that triggers us because this is why i want i want us to be able to help people have these discussions yes so when someone says something that triggers you and they push that emotional trigger, that button, right? You have other quadrants, other questions that you can ask them. You know, you can find out the emotions behind, you know, that statement, that feeling, right? You can, you can, and then you can talk about, you know, the thought process after you figure out the emotions, right? That's the mental aspect. Then if you want, you can relate it to physical, like what actually is going on in the world, what you believe, right? That's where people talk about numbers and I care about facts, right? But you can't really talk about facts unless you talk about the feelings and the thought process, right? Yeah. So and this will be facts. You can't talk about those two things because this decides how you interpret this a hundred percent. And then even we can go into the spiritual, which decides how you feel, which determines how you mental, how you conceptualize, which determines how you physicality. So when you, when we're arguing about facts, go to feeling, go to thoughts, go to spirituality, go somewhere else where you can, where you can actually talk to that person and you can find some understanding, right? Because if we sit there and we fucking fight over who's right or wrong over the act or what I see, my truth, without digging behind why that truth is there, the other wants, right? <laughs> Not the don't wants. Right. Then, then we, 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 we can find, we find the real common ground for humanity. That's, that's what I wanted to say. We got to deal with those four quadrants. Yes. And, and if I could just, if I could, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up after this, but just to, 
on Jared, it's a couple actionables for everybody for this week. You know, challenge yourself to go deeper, first with yourself and then with others. And when you, when you ask people, and, and be observant too, and part of going deeper is this is going from playing the short game to the long game. Jared and I have said that a few times, and we'll probably say this more now. We're talking about it. The long game is looking at what is it that you really want to get out of this discussion? What's that bigger thing? So we start every one of these videos with the mission statement because for us, the reason we're doing this is because we want to see the fulfillment of that. So it's very important for us to be conscious of that. Inviting people who don't see the same, don't agree the same way as you, or they, they don't communicate the same way as you ask them, well, why do you feel that way? Now, some people, they may not be as open to talking about their feelings because it's scary. That's vulnerability. So what you can do is ask a different question, something like, well, you know, hey, Jared, I'm trying to understand your perspective. Do you mind elaborating on this? Why you mm -hmm. think this? Why you believe that? Sometimes to get to a place of understanding, you may have to ask a lot more questions than you once did because it's, 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 it's a convenience afforded to us that we can just dismiss someone and again, stay at the surface. Well, they're a Trump supporter, they're not a Trump supporter. They're a liberal, they're a conservative, Republican, Democrat, racist, not racist, whatever it is. And when we are there, we're not, we're hurting ourselves too because we're cutting off our ability to learn, understand. And now what we're doing is we're just seeking out more people who are like us. Which, you know, isn't that kind of one of the things we're trying to work through right now anyways? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but we won't, we won't go there because we, we've, we promised we're going to wrap this up. But I do encourage all of you just to think of, to think about that is think about being willing. <clears throat> what if, what if you had to ask eight questions? Most of the time you don't have that, but what if you had to ask five to eight questions to be able to start to have a really meaningful conversation with someone? Would you be willing to take that time and put in that work to have that depth of conversation? If the answer is a no, honor that and then go to someone else who you can get to a yes to. This is a practice. I wouldn't necessarily go and say, okay, you just heard this. You run next door to your person, your neighbor who hates Trump and you have these new things and say, hey, I want to test this out with you. But <laughs> You know, start with someone, again, remember that safety thing. So start with someone you feel a little bit more safe and comfortable with and practice with it. And if once you start to find that you're able to get to a deeper level with them, start expanding it out from there. Same thing with the group. There's going to be people in the group. Most of everybody in the group is, is going to be open to some degree with this because we're all here in this group. So test it out in the group. And those of you who are in the group, and when you see somebody testing out a new way of communicating, and maybe they're taking some inspiration from this, acknowledge them for that, right? Acknowledge them for it. Sometimes, you know, when we're playing that short game and we want to poke, we'll say, oh, I just see you doing what Jared said to do, or Jesse said to do. Instead, acknowledge and say, hey, that's really awesome that you're, you're testing out what Jared and Jesse were talking about. Let me play in this frame. And, and as always, we want to invite your comments, your questions about this, your, your, the, I don't know about you, Jared, but I get so much of the scene of the discussion that comes after whenever we record something. And, and so I encourage all of you to just to, you know, leave a comment, ask a question. It, there's no bad questions here because it's an opportunity for all of us all to learn. And if you've been, if you haven't dipped your toes into the group conversations yet, this would be a great one to start with, you know, and, and then ask the question of myself or ask the question of Jared first get some make your first question your first comment like that one where it's going to be a dynamic where we can start to 
and, and be honest too. Just say, hey, this is my first question. This is my first comment. I'm a little nervous to do this. Here's where I'm coming from. Honesty is, is a beautiful thing, especially when we're talking about human emotion. But uh, as always, Jared, I, I'm super appreciative of you, man. And, and I'm super appreciative of all of you who, who stick with us and follow along every week. Same, my friend. Same. Super. Uh, guys, I, I don't know if you guys know, but Jesse invited me to start this group, right? So, like, you, you, you were like, hey, man, what do you, what do you think about, about, you know, we're talking about, we were talking about it. And he was like, what do you think about getting a group like this going so that people can have these kind of discussions and stuff like that? And, uh, it's been, it's been a blast. It is a blast, man. It really has, Jared. And, you know, this is why Jared and I too, we wanted to commit up front to doing this for at least six months because meaningful relationships, meaningful conversations that create meaningful change. We all already know this. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be a stroke of a pen or a policy thing. If it was, we wouldn't be still arguing about the same stuff we've been arguing for so long. It takes time. There's a trust. There's a, there's a companionship. There's a relationship dynamic that builds. And what happens now is as Jared and I have taken the time to build a relationship with all of you, we're able to expand the discussions we have. We started with the first video of talking about Larry Bird and Michael Jordan because we wanted to create a dynamic of trust and understanding and humanity. You could see us and you and, and vice versa. And now that we've continued to evolve our relationships and build trust with it, because it takes time, we're able to start to introduce new things and new conversations versus in week one, if we were to start talking about emotional triggers and white privilege, probably wouldn't be here still. No, right. and, and, and look, and we still disagree on Larry Bird. Yeah, 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 yeah. He brought up Michael Jordan before we got on today, and I had this. <laughs> I totally did. I, I snuck that one in, and he almost let me slide on it, but he's like, uh. <laughs> I totally did. Yeah, I'm not going to let that one go. And so, you know, that's maybe one final thing. You guys, it is fun to poke sometimes, but folks, poke from a loving place and poke with good humor with it because it really can be a lot of fun, especially when they're so delusional about Larry Bird and they're <laughs> anyways, I'm going to just mic drop it, leave it there. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. We're gonna do, we're gonna do. I said some good.